0: Hi, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with my co-founder and partner, Ross Fabini, uh, as well as founder and CEO of Promise, Phaedra Ellis-Lamkins. Phaedra, Ross, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Good
0: That's to happy. have you. Phaedra, why don't you introduce what is Promise and how did you come to start it?
1: Yeah. Promise is a company that we started as an alternative to incarceration. And so we work with local governments to both understand and assess risk. Um, And to figure out then what conditions and support work. And from there to figure out how do you not keep people in jail because they're poor, black or brown, which is what we find many people are incarcerated for. And what we found is two thirds of people who are in jails are pre-trial, which means they're in jails, not because they've been convicted of the crime they arrested for, but they're just waiting. And so we want to save government's money and treat people humanely.
0: And how did you come to to start this company and how did you sort of navigate the idea maze of where you could wedge in?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I was working in tech and um, lost one I loved dearly to addiction and um, thought that there needed to be a better system. But I spent six months um, really trying to better understand the system and figure out what was working and what wasn't. And um, it was clear when we started to meet with folks, like, there's just stuff I didn't know. Like, I didn't know most people in jails aren't haven't been convicted of the crime they're arrested for. I didn't right. know that most people... Um, sit in jails. I didn't know the jail costs $500 a night in some places, and someone might have bail for $500 and they'll be kept in jail. I was just in a state in the South where they had someone who's been in jail seven and a half years pre-trial. Oh. And so it's just atrocious. And the longer people are in, the more um, harm that's done, the more likely they are to lose their jobs, to lose their ham- families, right. to uh, lose the place they live. And so it's just, it creates chaos.
0: Right. And when you say alternative to jail, you, you don't mean like a different Type of prison? You, you mean get it, stay out of jail?
1: I mean stay out of jail. Yeah. I mean yeah. It's, yeah. I mean it's, it seems like a basic principle. If you haven't been convicted of a crime, yeah. you shouldn't be in jail because you can't afford to get right. out because yeah. someone's already made a decision. You're okay to go. It's just because you're poor, you're stuck. Right.
2: right. I think that's that's something that a lot of people don't realize. Like I remember when I we talked about this investment with my family back in Kentucky. Very savvy people, of course, mm-hmm. and you know people I love uh, talk about the problems mm-hmm. of being stuck in jail through bail. the the idea is like, well, why would that possibly happen? The the people don't even understand the nature of the problem and the the, the number of people it affects and how disruptive it is in their lives.
1: Yeah. We're working with an amazing sheriff in the Midwest. And part of why he started working with us, which is, um, is because he realized most people in his jail were there for bails of $500 or less. And so he was like, this is ridiculous. We're keeping people in jail for $500 bails. And so I think people don't realize, and I think, not just the, they don't realize that kind of who's incarcerated, but also what's the impact of being incarcerated, right? And the reality is, if you are someone who's living paycheck to paycheck, who can't afford b- um, bail, when you lose your paycheck to paycheck job, you lose your house, you lose the job, and you're put in this situation, which is where you're even more likely to have a chaotic situation. So the longer you're in jail, as little as additional days, the more likely you are to return. hmm
0: now, uh, Ross, you led this uh, this investment on behalf of the Village team. Why don't you talk about the uh, the thesis behind our investment? Obviously, Phaedra is a force of nature, but what did you see sort of in, in the market and the opportunity? Well, there are three things, and
2: and the, the first is you, you, you kind of you can't skip over the fact that Phaedra is a force of. Of will, and uh, I, I think I, I, I think I would uh, I would want to be involved in anything that she was uh, doing because you know it would just be done spectacularly. Um, the, the 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 second thing is fundamentally the scale of the problem to be addressed. Um, it is so massive and unaffected by technology to date, and really could be transformed by technology, especially as you start thinking about the the data organization that could be done to. To better help people stay out of jail, let alone get access to um, accesses access to to resources uh, efficiently, which they can't right now. When you're in the, the the when you're a participant in the the pre-trial process, just figuring out like when your court date is, who to contact, all that is very opaque process and so there's a place where technology could be uh, transformational and the third thing is is the mission itself I mean the things that we want to do here are fundamentally huge endeavors and that's beneficial because it's more exciting it's beneficial because it helps you recruit is beneficial because you want to do things that matter in the world. And I think those three things together make it one of the most compelling investments I've gotten to be able to be part of because we've got the team to do this epic thing. The scale of the the problem and the possibility from a revenue and company creation process is just is unbelievably large and demonstrably massive from a revenue perspective. And it's a mission that... Should exist yeah. and will attract people, so it's those things coming together. Now, Phaedra is all the goddamn hard work, and this is just like, yeah, cheerleading <laughs> in the sideline. So it's, let's let's be clear, but it's it, but it's exciting, to be, you know, cheerleader in that uh, okay. at that arena. I, I
1: have to say this. I have to give credit or credit to um, one of um, the most incredible people at our company, Evan. Um, came through Ross. So I will be on this podcast or anything else he asks me to do. Wow. Um, because, um, and he leads all our implementation. And so I'm always grateful because one of the best things an investor can do is actually provide practical usefulness. Mm. Yep. Um, and so that was very, very helpful. Just
0: awesome. need to be more.
1: Yes. <laughs> so Five I, more. I, I need so. more than three. I need <laughs> to hire a lot right now. So.
0: <laughs> awesome. So, 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 Vader, when you set out to start Promise, were there. Uh, what did the other activity in the space look like? Were there other startups that were tackling similar problems, or yeah. what did what did it look like?
1: Um, certainly, I think there's a, there's a lot of technology that is um, so one is we see a lot of technology done by large traditional companies, and so Xerox is a player in this, um, and so and, and you see kind of some really antiquated and i think sometimes morally corrupt technology Mm -hmm. so things like electronic monitoring right in this Mm -hmm. day and age that people still wear something on their ankle that hasn't been and um innovated in 20 years and they can't figure out a better way to find out where folks are than something that you have to wear around your ankle that's huge and is um and uh anywhere from eight to twenty five dollars a day wow um is archaic at best um and so we saw a lot of kind of big companies that were doing um, kind of old technology. We also saw a lot of um, people who uh, were in the whole industry. So you might own a private prison company, plus you might do technology pre-trial. And so really kind of owning the market and the yeah. full spectrum. And then we saw some startups that were doing, but mostly around policing. Like if I look yeah. at venture investments, it's mostly around innovation, around policing, which tends to be really harmful, I think, for people of color and uh, black yeah. and brown people, because the people who are creating it don't think about some of those things. Yeah. And so um, and so when, when we were creating the company, it was really we wanted to create technology for people who looked like us yeah. and people who grew up like we grew up. Um, and recognize that, like, how do you create technology that's made to actually keep people out of jail yeah. and to make smart investments? And so um, so that's it. So we haven't found a lot of venture-backed um, investments in the space right. of, of what we're doing. We f- tend to find it um, from very different perspectives.
0: Yeah. And then, so what was your sort of key insight that you think led to you raising you know, venture capital from, from great folks?
1: Um, I think um, that the market is so large and that... It hasn't been invested in in um, very basic ways, I think was compelling. I also think I ran revenue at the last company yeah. I worked at. And so people then know, okay, it's, you're disrupting a large problem, but you understand how to right. make money. It's not yeah. as though, like, my thesis as a uh, entrepreneur is to the extent that I'm ex- successful, we can liberate more people. right? And so the reason that venture is important is because it's about scale, yep. right? I, And you know, 15 years ago, I ran a nonprofit. Right. And the reason I stopped running nonprofits is not because the work isn't remarkable because there's a lot of amazing right. people doing it, but because I couldn't build scale and change right. effectively. And so venture, for me, was yeah. really about scale. And so I think when you're raising... And you're saying, I want to change a large industry that has a lot yep. of revenue. I want to break it up. I want to grow right. large. And I've done that before somewhere. Yep. I think people are compelled by that.
0: Right. But for you being one of the first venture-backed companies in the space, did something change in the market that made this more attractive oh. opportunity in the last five years, yeah. in the last decade? Or? I mean, I
1: think certainly there's this moment, I think, around where you see bail reform happening across the country mm-hmm. and you see people starting to say, oh... Bail is maybe not the best way to get people to come back to court. For us, we've seen in a county we're working at here in the Bay Area, they had basically seventy between seventy six to seventy eight percent of people yeah. came back um, uh, with bail not, um, or other things. And now we've been able to move that up to ninety four percent just with technology. Right. And so then what that shows you is to the extent that you can provide technology instead of forcing people to pay bail, yeah. you can actually increase the rate at which people come to court and their appearance rate. So I think there there's a couple things that shifted. One is In this space, there's increasingly recognition, I think, that the criminal justice system is broken. I think whether you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, like whatever you are, I think people realize the system of crime and punishment that's been created is not working. I think people realize it's biased. Um, And so I think when you have a broken system, I also think that um, venture is starting to realize that there's only so many places you can do that – you know, valet park cars in San Francisco. That yep. the idea is that for technology to grow, it has to serve more people than the people right. who are they know. Um, and so I think, and I think that tech. I think what's been helpful for us is a lot of people who work in tech want to do good. Yep. And I think there's this moment where people are like, should I know what I'm building and how it's going to be used?
2: Right. It's also in in the sweet spot in, in your example there. Of it's creating. Um, a better experience for the participants and mm-hmm. enabling them but it's also saving a huge amount of money mm-hmm. for the folks that are running the system right now because that is very very broken mm-hmm. uh, in terms of just raw man hours so one mm-hmm. of the things that that I thought a lot about and you and I have talked some about mm-hmm. is how it's technology augmenting what people uh, are doing right now as judges as DAs and I'm yeah. curious how that How has that that played out?
1: Well, the thing we think about a lot is what are the things that technology can do and what are the things that humans can do? And so what we've realized is that um, there are flawed things like there's something called a risk assessment that basically is trying to measure what someone's risk is. And what we know is people are more likely, more people go home on risk assessments, but we also know they're biased because they ask things like, uh, what do you, like, do you have a place to live? Do you have a job? Do you have family support? And so there's some things, like if I'm a foster kid, that just having a risk assessment, I'm higher risk just because of who I am. And so what we know is that risk assessments make sense, but in some places, but that they have to be corrected for some of the bias that are part of them naturally. So what we found is that, um, we can do things like build software because we've seen places where people make mistakes because they do it with a pen and paper. And so the idea that you're playing with someone's life when you're going two plus two on a piece of paper is pretty insane. Yeah. And, or even basic things like, one thing we're finding that makes things much more effective is um, when you are released from jail, you get a piece of paper. And so you get a piece of paper that you're supposed to keep all of your conditions of release and all the things that you do on a piece of paper. And, um, and you have to have it signed. And so being able to do that now through technology, um, being able to chat instead of having to talk on the phone, now we have a system in which um, either someone from the court, probation or pretrial can communicate instead of having to have a meeting in person and you don't have to take a bus and get there. Yeah. And so there's a lot of ways. When we think about efficiency, do we save people time and money? And do we create a better client experience for the person that's in the most chaotic time of their life?
0: And when you thought about when you first uh, were starting Promise, your sort of initial idea of what your first product would be like or your first sort of go-to-market strategy and then what you're doing today, um, does that look pretty similar or how has that evolved and what have you learned um,
1: that? It looks similar and different. I think originally we were like, bail is happening and so we can just take advantage of that and we can figure out how to get as many people out as possible in the smartest way so we can make the case that, that this is how the system should operate. Um I think what has shifted is the political um, stuff around bail it's the bail industry fought back which um, and what's been surprising is some stuff just stalls and so I think I thought there was a public momentum that just meant the gates were gonna go wide open and that everyone recognized what we're finding is that's not true even in places where you think are the most progressive I would say the thing that's been most shocking to me is like we work in Fargo North Dakota which is more progressive than some of the places we work in the bay area yeah um we're just in alabama we're talking you know like we're going um to the federal system probably so it's like seeing i think also that the places i thought were going to be the most progressive are not necessarily the places that are most progressive has probably been that's been a shift and i think on the technology i think what we're doing differently is not just the places um but recognizing that the core of why people end up in jail, yeah. you can solve not just the consequences of how people right. end up in jail. And so I think we're going to spend a lot more product development time on earlier interventions right. instead of just um, post-arrest. Yeah,
0: When you when you think about sort of the take over the world plan or save the world plan for, for yeah. a company like Promise, what does the sequencing look like for that?
1: Um, yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, uh, I think a lot about um, I think the most important thing to me is that we have a thesis we can prove, and so the first thesis is people can do um, can get to court by themselves yep. without needing bail. So that's thesis one, yep. right? Then the second thesis is people can do better if you can analyze what they're doing. Mm. So, for example, I think maybe DUI classes aren't, aren't a great idea because someone gets a DUI yep. um, or AA because it doesn't necessarily mean they're an addict. Yeah. It Um, but parenting classes seem like they might have value Hmm. Um, we find a lot of employment programs almost never work Hmm. in the places that we're evaluating so why do we assign people to go do those things if they don't work Um, and we found for example that uh, people are more likely to fail we, we can almost find no programs where we're at where people succeed after 16 yeah. weeks so we should not give people 16 week of programming because right. we're setting them up for failure yeah. um, so, so understanding how and why what works is important and then I think figuring out what are the things that send people to jail beyond the normal stuff around race and class is which is significant um, but is what are the things like traffic parking tickets fees and fines what are the things that we can figure out there
2: Right. And this seems like one of the most powerful aspects of promise at scale is that you're really creating schema and structure on this incredibly opaque data set around people and their experience through the judicial system and just the experience of their lives. Yeah. So once you're, or as you're increasingly at scale, mm-hmm. then you can say, no, no, this program, not that program. This one makes sense. This yep. one improves outcomes. This one's worth the money. This one's not. Yeah.
1: Or we can say things like, hey, it seems like people don't show up for court in the Bay Area when you assign them if they live more than than an hour away at 9 o'clock start time. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe what we should do is if someone lives more than an hour away, we should give them afternoon times at 12. <laughs> <laughs> um, or it seems like, you know, like one thing yeah. in a county, uh, which I shall not rename, is that we found that people were all having um, technical violations at a probation department in June. And we realized, oh, and someone said, oh, that's when we all go on vacation. So we're like, oh, mm-hmm. it could be when people go on vacation, yeah. we have to make some changes because yeah. then people are more likely to have violations because, no, you know, totally. so... It's a lot of
2: stuff like that. I just want to come back to your comment about the public sector and uh, where, excuse me, the process. You'd see like, different people moving at different speeds. Yeah. And it's a very consistent... When when uh, when I've seen public sector shifts, uh-huh. they happen in mass, but where they're able to actually move forward depends so much on the circumstances on the ground, the budget of the grounds. So you sort of have to be at the ready for all these different projects and then take the, the folks that are most willing and, and able for a bunch of reasons that... You know they can't control to move forward how do you lined up to go to go do that like this this group in North Dakota North Dakota starts to move how do you go in service and be there for that customer when, when they're ready to go
1: um, so I think about um, our first client which was here in the Bay Area the thing we did is we started with a pilot project on a very specific population then we went from that population to the whole department Then the amazing chief, she said, okay, now I have this other problem I want you to help me solve about how to figure out how to innovate in this position. And so then we do that. So there's two ways, I think, that are really important. Um, One is we have a team that Evan leads is that really consistently looks at the technology and then measured against are we making people more effective and more efficient, which is just traditional SaaS, right? And then um, we have a client team who thinks about how to grow our relationships. And it's a woman i work with for a long time. She ran uh, client support at the last company I was at. She came with us. And, and so part of it is, I think, also having relationships. And one thing someone said to me that I think is really true is I think of the, the chiefs or the heads as kind of my kitchen cabinet. And so having long-term relationships, because the way government works is they're going to end up in different places. And so finding people that you think are committed to your vision And building a long-term relationship i think is really critical Mm. and so Mm -hmm. for us it's like we're building a home team Mm -hmm. and we have to figure out who are the people we're going to grow with and i think that's Mm -hmm. part of the beginning part of our company
0: yeah Uh, zooming out a little bit some of our listeners are uh fascinated to learn more but sort of um very new to how this industry even works can can you talk about how how the intersection between the the public sector and the the private sector work in the industry is there sort of one private company that owns all the prisons or how how does it work
1: yeah um it, it uh, so so like the bail industry, for example, is really an insurance industry. Hmm. And so it's really a couple of companies who've gotten all these mom and pop businesses um, to sell their product. And then there's one big company. And so I think of it a lot as like ADT. Right? Or like these people, alarm companies, right? Yeah. Like, I can open a shop and I can sell ADT, um, but really, I'm selling someone else's product. I'm yeah. just selling it door to door. And that's a lot how bail works. I'm selling right. you it, but it's an insurance product that I just pay a certain percentage of. The more I sell, the cheaper
2: it is. Pinterest, it's, it's actually maybe worth clarifying because maybe you don't know how with works, as you said, as an insurance product. And actually, the fact that like, you're just paying, I think there's still this idea out there that I'm. Um, I paid my bail and I'm going to get back my, my bail money because I showed up. No,
1: it's so, it's the most insane. Well, it, if there's two ways to think of it, there is if you have money, you do get it back. Because, for example, if you got arrested and you owe $10,000, I could go to the court and say, give me, here's $10,000, and I would get my money back when I showed up. Different than if I don't have $10,000 and I go to a bail person and I pay 10% of that and I give them the money for them to put the money up. And what's interesting is there's really no money put up because it's an insurance product. That's right. So it's the best one of the best insurance products for the person who sells it. Yeah. Because there's such a high number of people showing up and such low risk. And so
2: But your thousand bucks, this was the insight when I spent time on bail, I was like, it's gone. It's gone. Like you and you didn't you didn't have ten grand, so that thousand bucks, like that, was hard earned and hard borrowed from and, your tia or your your, right. your family, and like that. No, and the
1: worst part is, it doesn't just hard on you. Could be so, for example, you could get a DUI, and they might not tell you that you're going to get out in 24 hours. So your family gets it together, gets the money, makes a plan, and you get out, even though they just paid bail. And so part of it also is there's no responsibility to figure out how long you're getting. Like the, you call bail. They don't say, oh, you know what? You're going to get out on your own in 30 hours anyway. Not that anyone should be, but, but they, you also don't get a lot of good information. You don't know you've been arrested for something you may not be charged for. And, um, and so it's, just, it's, a, it's a broken system. And the idea that you pay 10% just to give someone insurance that you will show up for court. And if you don't have that money, what they do is they will say, okay, give me your car now. And you will keep your car till you pay it. So you could be paying it off for a long time for something that was very. Right. Um, it's just it's an incredibly broken system. And I think for us in the private sector and the public sector, um, uh, we find that there is a lot of um, what I would almost think of as uh, traditional monopolies, which is that the fact that like Xerox will be a competitor we're going to compete against or. Um, that that most of our competitors are not startups; they're companies yep. with eighty five thousand employees, yep. um, and or someone who owns a private yep. prison, and then they own a community local community service agency, and they own something like that. It's um, a very I don't know that we've ever competed so far with a small company.
0: Right? And are these government enabled monopolies? Like, does Xerox have some relationship with?
1: Totally. Yeah. And um, yeah, and what will happen is it's it's even like. Uh, It'll be like a shoot, like one per- company we're competing against that has eighty five thousand employees. Um, they're a shoot off of Xerox, so they used to be a division, and then yeah, they I've- become their own company and they're on the market, and um, and and or a company in uh, up north that we are um, working on. And part of just so you understand the experience for the government is um, one of the things we do is give um, analytics, and so they have a dashboard. And so the way to think about our product is, like, I think about Salesforce. Like, if you think about Salesforce and then there's things that you can add on, so I might have the add-on for whatever. So one product we have adds on to essentially their database. And someone came to us because they said the company that is their current database told them to change the um, dashboard would take a year and $100,000. Now, we could do it in a day, right? It's very easy, relatively inexpensive. But that's the way they're set up, both in terms of investment and in terms of kind of turnaround time.
2: And companies like Promise, you know, in this public sector, what we're seeing is um, their customers, those public sector people, those sheriffs, those county leaders, etc., those state leaders. They want, in many cases, better solutions. Right. And then the process is how do you pick apart those government contracts so you can show value, get right. you know, build build relationship and expand from that. In that way, it's just very classic enterprise sales work yeah. and enterprise execution. It's just hard, hard work yeah. and it's been underserved by the startup community. Right. And as a result, like, real citizens and real taxpayers are all suffering. So yeah. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of pull if you can get in there and start solving real
0: problems. Right. I guess I'm, try- I'm trying to figure out who is incentivized incentive to keep the system going. I mean, it's Oh my
1: like- gosh. Uh, one, one, first, the incentives are so broken same,
0: same. because...
1: The incentives are, so even on, like, for our stuff, the incentives are you get paid per person per day. That is a broken system. The goal should be to get people out of the system. So we should be – like, I ran a sales team. One of the things I said to one of our clients, I said, is you should not pay me that way because – I am here today but when you have a large sales team your sales team is always going to sell to the incentives right. and so you have to change incentives so like we had to say we I can't take those incentives yeah. because we will build a team that should do right yep. but I, my job as a CEO is to make sure we don't have the wrong incentives yeah. and if you pay me per day per person that will build a system incentivized right. to keep people in every day if you pay me on people not reoffending or if you pay yeah. me on a net number I don't have an incentive to keep people in. But everything right now in the criminal justice system that we're seeing is funded by per person per day, which creates the wrong incentives for right. everyone. It's And so I think the system is just so flawed in that. I think people do want innovation, but it, it isn't just who are the companies, but what are the incentives? Right.
0: But in healthcare, you can sort of see like some companies are getting immensely rich off the, off the warped incentives. Is it similar here? Like it it
1: is. And I think in healthcare, you know, the, the incentives now people are doing is changing like either for your, you're changing for, um, uh, for like I'm having, uh, my knee surgery instead of paying for each individual thing or incentivizing by earlier interventions. And, um, you know, $80,000 to keep someone in jail. Like it's, um, it's so expensive that all the incentives should be to keep people out. And there right. was a bill in California here to decrease, and they saved money by basically incentivizing counties to send less people to state jails yeah. and giving the counties part of the money back. Right. Um, they um, sent back almost $700 million, and they decreased the number of people in jail. Right. So it's also clear when you change the incentives, people yeah. perform differently, which is, I mean, it's not shocking, right? right? And is, it,
0: is there just lack of political will, or is it just too... Um, are the lobbyists or whatever too dominant I
1: think uh, I think that it's it's not just uh, I don't I think people want it, but I think it's a scary thing to change because it's large yeah. I think you see this even in large companies it's much harder to make change at Google than it is yeah. to make change at a startup right and so you see these institutions and um, part of it is I think a lot of these folks are like we've been around longer than you like yeah. we're gonna be here before and after you yeah. and so um and so I think it's hard, and I, and then I think you have industries that are invested in these systems not getting better, yeah. right? Like if you can make a hundred million dollars a year and and not change for a year or a hundred thousand yeah. dollars, there's not an incentive to do better,
0: right? I have a, a question. It's some. It is going to be a very Silicon Valley naive question, but basically, would these two ideas work, and maybe they're related in some way? So one is sort of like a lambda for for mm-hmm. people who've been in prison. Um, like, could you align incentives between yeah? The prisons and then the prisoners that they're incentivized to get them out and get them off their feet and that they, the prisons would get more money because of that.
1: I, I, I think that there should be. It's not the way that people are paid right now. And right. so I talked to someone, we were having a conversation earlier today, they're like, um, prisons, like there has to be some model to incentivize them differently. Yeah. And um, and I think, you know, 20 years ago, even 15 years ago, it was like tough on crime, right? So it was always okay. about um, how to um, just keep people in regardless yeah. of what it is. And I think, Uh, right now, I don't even know that there's a consensus. I don't, anyone you talk to doesn't believe that prison makes you a better person. Right? Right. It just, the system isn't designed, right, to make you a better person. And so the idea that in this country, with this, we incarcerate more people than China, almost two times the amount of people in China. um, And the idea that it only works poorly, right? Nowhere, you know, like the idea that that's how we do, like to me is shocking in the system of kind of, um, one, because America believes in second chances it's supposed to be. So, but here it's like, you get out and we we expect – we throw mar- – like, okay, now you have to check in once a week. Now you have to do these five things. So it's like the system is broken. The system after is broken. Um,
2: it's also just the, the scale of it being broken, right? Before you're thinking about like, hey, what could you do post-prison and education process? Like the, the problem with the people that just should never be in jail at all. Because you are just dealing with bail out of a DUI or some other TV. minor offense, it, it just yeah. it just massive, massive spend, massive business. And the others, the second part, which is a correlate but an important correlate, is like the current system is just fundamentally racist. It's right. fundamentally biased. It's like if you can solve a fundamental societal ill at the same time making just a massive business, mm-hmm. and you are like. You're not in the first base of how transformative the business can be. It's it makes it really exciting. Yeah. I think it's one of the things that's the that company's awesome. done a great job of focusing on It's like highly impactful things we can do out the gate. So then you earn the right to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing.
1: Thanks. Yeah, we're trying it. We're trying to figure that out because I think you don't really understand the system until you're in it. And so, like, one thing is like two million people are incarcerated. That seems like a lot, but four million people are under community supervision. And then you look at the people going to the system. And you're like, these are millions and millions of people. Eighty billion dollars a year, and um, uh, jail is costing eighty thousand dollars a year for one human. And I'm just like, if I were to say to you, I will give you eighty thousand dollars a year to keep this human doing well. I mean. Um, and so you wouldn't say, okay, I'm going to give you $80,000 a year to punish someone. And what I want you to do is the only thing you have to do is guarantee that they're going to – basically the system now guarantees they'll come back. That's about all they do. And that's the incentives. There's no incentive for – so we're like – yeah, there's no incentives for people to do well, right? And the things that don't cost a lot, the things that we know that are um, meditation and exercise, you know, like anything that you think of that can like, reduce kind of chaos in a system, those things, they're, they're free. You know, like it's right. the programming is done really poorly. Any, any, you would, f- you would, no company would succeed in this environment.
2: And, and meanwhile, there are all these customers, all these people that work in the systems that actually want the right thing to happen. There's just these systemic problems. There's people that are so excited to improve the lives of the people that they're interacting with, but don't have technology or yeah. the incentive alignment is uh, just and you such have a families deep
1: Families that know they're, that because they, they are yeah. they are family members, I think my own family, it's like folks who are being incarcerated. Um, you know, You're most likely to be incarcerated in jail for a lot of people for either traffic, parking, technical violations things like failure to appear driver's license suspension it's not I think people have this vision of who's in jail Mm. and not that there's a deserving and an undeserving because that wouldn't be fair but just the idea that we need to realize we are imprisoning people for very minor offenses in this country and then keeping them there because they're too poor to get out
0: right on that note I think we'll end it right here but just a quick question for you Crowdfunding for bail, like GoFund, GoFundMe for bail. Yeah, Have you I've, tried it. Yeah, uh,
1: we haven't, but I've seen like there's different programs. There's some that like give extra money. There's some that like different campaigns to bail people out or on Mother's Day around other stuff. I think they're like I, my. I think everything that exists to liberate people is amazing. Yeah. So we're like great. Do whatever works for you. Like we should, um, we should do it all. The the thing that that I am most concerned about is systemic change. Yeah. Like how do you? Because I, I I think. Um, as someone who spent her life on social change, the thing that I learned in technology is it's really about scale and iteration. Yeah. And so I'm just convinced for us, the most important thing to do is to scale. Yeah. Right? That's what we should use technology for. Everything else is amazing, and we should keep doing it. Yeah. But for my focus is just like what, even if whatever it is, how can we scale?
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been a fantastic episode for for investors or entrepreneurs who are listening and and want to want to learn more, go deeper. Uh, Where where might you point them and and any other plugs for Promise that you should be on the lookout for? Um, Our
1: website is joinpromise, J-O-I-N, promise.com. And I would say the best way to learn more about us is not just to read our website, but we're also always hiring. Um, And we're especially looking for people who are interested in this intersection of the public sector and private sector. And I think at this stage of our company, we're looking for remarkable people. And so people who are both committed and skilled and want to change the world and understand that looks different than... Um, some of the traditional jobs, but are committed to that type of systemic change.
0: Awesome. Ross Pager, thank you so much. Thank you. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash catalyst.